Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the listeners of the Work Life Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky, and today I have the great pleasure to be joined by Nick Brook, who is Head of Facilities at Mills and Reef, um, a UK-based uh, legal practice. Hello, Nick. Hi, Agnes. So today is a truly international podcast recording. Me as a Hungarian sitting in Brussels, you, Nick, as an Australian joining me from the UK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mills and Reeve is, a, as I said, a, a legal practice in the UK with about 800 employees. Mm -hmm. They have won numerous awards for their fantastic um, workplaces. And they're also the only law firm on the Sunday Times best 100 companies to work for for uh, uh, the last 13 years. And, and Nick, um, you are also uh, on the British Institute of Facilities Management you are um, also member of the Legal Sustainability Alliance, and it's a great pleasure to host you on the podcast as the first um, facilities professional, to be honest. Um, so we are now going to tackle work, uh, the new world of work and uh, employee well-being and, and performance from your um, professional point of view. So may I ask you, Nick, to... Tell listeners a little bit about yourself, about your career, your passion, what drives you, and, and also a little bit your role at Mills and Reeve. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. Uh, by, by education, I am a, a geographer. So I went to university in Australia and was particularly keen on learning about people and places and their in interactions between them. And that's probably why I'm interested in the, the human side uh, of facilities. And just to define what uh, facilities is, it's quite a, quite a slippery term, uh, but I am responsible in my role, uh, so as a head of facilities, the director of facilities, for all the property and uh, related issues uh, for Mills and Reeve. So we deliver services such as uh, catering, security, uh, archiving, uh, maintain the premises, do uh, refurbishments, relocations and fit outs uh, for the firm. We have about uh, 900 internal customers uh, or clients, 
So that's everyone from uh, other business support teams to secretaries to uh, the solicitors and to the partners uh, of of the firm. My other responsibilities in that in that role is around health and safety, um, environment and sustainability, and uh, business continuity, ensuring that the business can can function if we have to close uh, an an office um, for whatever reason. So it's very much a a broad role, um, a mix of operational and strategic uh, areas, and no no two days are the same. Fantastic. I think that um, this was a great explanation and many of the listeners will be able to see now much clearer what this is about. Um, and you had perhaps the chance um, uh, that Mills and Reeve has undertaken a number of uh, refurbishments and also moves to new locations in the past couple of years. Um, mm. And maybe before we go a little bit more into that, um, in your understanding, how does the choice and the design and the quality of the building, of the furbishings, of, of, of the work environment come into play in Mills and Reeve being such a recognized um, employer of choice? Uh, it's, it's probably a lot more than any of us realize, actually, um, that uh, place, whether that be uh, uh, where you work in the building, uh, meeting rooms, uh, has is really impactful on on the way you work and how you work, and certainly on your uh, reputation uh, amongst clients and in the and in the marketplace. And we uh, are very proud of being in the Sunday Times, which is a, a UK newspaper. Every year they publish a best 100 companies to work for. And for the 13th year in a row, um, we have been in that top 100. Uh, we're one of the only few companies that have been and the only law firm that has, has been uh, on that listing. So we're very uh, keen to to maintain that grade and as as we get bigger as a firm um, holding on to um, being in a top 100 uh, presents its own problem as you scale up in size so now we have six offices uh, across England and approximately uh, 900 staff so coming coming back to the, the question it's amazing what a change in uh, premises can do and as as time goes on, what we try to do in each of our refurbishments or relocations is to do better than we have in the in the previous one. So we rely very much on uh, feedback from employees when we uh, when we have moved and do a post occupancy survey about six months uh, after they have been in the new premises to see what lessons we can learn from the design. Uh, the design of a of a of a floor, a working area, meeting rooms is all very fine on paper, but you add reality and people into that and see how it see how it holds up. And we've seen significant uh, changes, I think, when we go from uh, when we have moved from cellular office space into open plan space. We've seen people come together, uh, a lot more people meeting each other. Uh, maybe they've heard names, but actually meeting and having a relationship with, with each other over the tea point or in the staff restaurant. Uh, and the way that we can influence the spaces that we provide uh, for our people and how they work, uh, particularly as we uh, go into 
uh, a world that's more looking at activity-based working, people working in other offices, maybe at home, uh, at clients. It all really comes together to be an important uh, piece of work. It's it's no longer putting in a, a, a computer, a chair and a table um, and a kettle. Yes, and, and I think there's more and more this um, understanding that as we have so much choice outside of work, um, especially we're seeking meaningful and nice experiences, work mm -hmm. is also an experience, um, not yes. perhaps fully a consumer experience, but an experience. And and so the 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 importance of, of it being a nice experience is, is also mm. more and more recognized, I guess. Very much so, and I think we're seeing that in, in terms of our recruitment. We want to uh, attract and retain the, the best lawyers uh, and the best business support people uh, that we can. And certainly in law, you, you come in as a trainee and you work your way up uh, the hierarchy. And what we're seeing is that the, the trainees and those that come in at various levels are wanting to know more about where they will be working and how they will be working and having a uh, really pleasant working environment. The presentation of the office when they come in to be uh, for an interview is really important. What type of welcome do they receive? What's the quality of the, the coffee like? Um, the, the look and the feel of the place is there for example um, bike parking um, can I are there showers that if I do cycle to work I can have a shower and then get on with my day great now did you um, I have I have two questions one is about um, I guess that when you had the subsequent moves and refurbishings you were able to draw on the experiences of the first one I guess um, but do yes. you also do a pre-refurbishing uh, or pre-move um, survey or pulse survey or, you know, a little bit to get what it is that um, the, the, the staff would like to um, move towards? We, we have done, um, we're just about to do our fourth relocation refurbishment um, for the firm. So we have a basic fit-out style. Um, that we uh, incorporate in, in that. And as I mentioned, we want to do a bit better mm -hmm. than, the, than the first one or the last one actually that we, that we did because there may be changes in technology, uh, what people need or want, for example. Uh, we do engage in the, the office where we're going to do that uh, move through a, a, a focus group or a, a, a small group of people who we would run ideas passed to get their um, buy-in to understand what's important uh, to that office and to the various groups that work in that office. So we use that to feed into our uh, design. We also, it's important to look at the building and look at the client journey and whether we can make improvements uh, on that and how we can bring people uh, together uh, across that office and what what will happen with that uh, feedback that we will feedback into the plans and that would help us to uh, sell 
the changes uh, and there usually are changes for example uh, the we are doing a refurbishment now that we have been almost uh, 16 years uh, in the current building and we came into that building five years before there are iPhones uh, on the market and really when there was no such thing as um, scanning of, of work. So there are lots of cupboards with lots of pieces of paper in them. And one of the major changes is that we want to reduce that storage space because we want to put people in there and different working environments for people and we want them to become more electronic uh, in their working. So one of the major things around this is talking to each team and looking at how they can work uh, electronically, what they need to uh, to do that system-wise, how to organise their work uh, on screen. And that's a, a major buy-in uh, that we've had to get from, from the business to do that by, by saying that in return we will deliver you a, a really good space to work. Yeah, this, this was actually my, my follow-up question about the resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and I read with great interest in your... In, in, in one of the articles that was uh, explaining these changes and the moves that um, you, there was a calculated average um, um, amount of space for storing uh, the papers mm. and that some people had maybe five times <laughs> that uh, amount of paper, some of the hoarders, and I'm, I'm sure we've yes. all met them. So. Um, did you have any other type of uh, resistance? Is this perhaps resistance is that um, we, we, I think there's still a lot of unconscious bias about different generations. And I would be interested if you had maybe surprising resistance or no resistance from maybe um, older uh, generation lawyers who one would think that they would perhaps be mm -hmm. more resistant to change, to trying out new ways of work. Yeah, we there there was some resistance, um, and certainly as a um, law is a profession where you you came in as a trainee uh, and then you worked your way up the hierarchy, and certainly in days gone by that would result in you having as a partner of the firm having your own office. Um, what we have done as a firm is gone completely open plan, and certainly. Uh, when I came into the business about 10 years ago, um, half the offices were open plan and half were not. So, uh, and each time that we relocated or refurbished, um, we would make that office uh, open plan. So in that aspect, the writing was on the wall uh, in terms of offices were going to go. And I remember talking to, to one partner who was in uh, a office environment. Her team was spread across uh, five or six offices. And she said, to see my team each day, I would have to go into six different offices. Uh, I couldn't here if they're having a difficult conversation on the phone that they might need my advice on um, because they were all shut away and she said for a, a team approach uh, she succumbed to the idea that open plan was much better because she could stand up and see who's in for on her team who's having a difficult conversation or who might be having a, a difficult workload that mm. she would uh, have to uh, help them with so I, I think some of them, once they think about it, um, that yes, that that 
is, that is the way to go. You, you mentioned the, the storage issue. Uh, some people, yes, held on to every bit of paper they could. And it's like having a spare cupboard at home. Um, you will fill it up with something. Now, whether that something is what you need or what you want, or actually you don't need, but you're just putting it in there, they're two, two different things. Um, we always were honest with people. So in one relocation, we had unlimited staff parking. Um, we were moving into a new building that had no staff parking. Mm -hmm. And that, that was the number one issue. Um, everything else paled into comparison um, when we moved buildings. So we had to be quite sensitive to that and encourage people to look at various other ways of getting to work on public transport, of maybe car sharing. Uh, we did have some car parking spaces at our new office and we created a, uh, a very flexible uh, car parking policy. So if you knew you were going to work late into the night, you could actually book a car park space uh, because your train might not be running at, the, at that time of night when you finish work. Um, mm. We all know that if you have a medical appointment, you have to take what you can get. So uh, rather than people taking a day off, if you had to nip out mid-morning to a medical appointment, you could have your car at work to go and do that. Uh, and if you car shared, um, you could uh, book in uh, a space uh, for the three of you uh, in one car to uh, to drive into the office. So we uh, and that that went down very well. And what we do between Christmas and New Year when we are open is that we open all those car uh, spaces to a ballot because there's no client meetings and we say to the staff um, if you're working between Christmas and New Year put your name in the ballot and you could have a, a car parking space so you can drive into work. What I gather from listening to you is that there will always be trade-offs right it's never a full upgrade <laughs> on all aspects you always have to think okay we're moving for the better um, overall, but some aspects will have to bring in some new policies or educate our staff or have some of these awkward conversations. Yes, I, I would agree with you. We, we, we cannot give everyone what they want all the time. And the advantage of a relocation or a refurbishment presents a really good opportunity to, to introduce change. And it's in one sense, much easier to introduce change when you're moving rather mm. than in your current environment. Um, and because people view that change as a, a part of a process and you, you want to take full advantage of that um, where possible. Uh, and you know, some people don't like change. For, for no reason that they can really lay their hand on, they just don't like it. So you have to bring those people along as well, as well as the ones that want to keep every bit of paper they've had uh, for the last 20 years and for those that you know, have to do without their car park space. So what matters to some people doesn't matter to others and vice versa. Mm. And now you mentioned earlier uh, the post-occupancy surveys that you carry out always six months after the, yes. the, the team has taken up the, the new residency. And, and what is the overall impression that you get from these surveys? 
the we we do these post occupancy surveys via Survey Monkey, um, where we ask uh, various questions to do with. Uh, the relocation or refurbishment project about how the communications were, how was the actual uh, physical move, did people receive all their stuff, were they up and working um, relatively at the same time on Monday morning, and ask questions about whether, you know, if we were going to do this again, are there any design changes that they would suggest? Uh, and that goes out to the whole business. We leave it six months because that's a good settling in time. If you leave it, if you ask a month after you've moved in, you'll probably get some people um, that are more grumbly because they haven't got something or they missed something from their previous premises. But it's it's been very encouraging that people uh, are very happy in their new workspace. Uh, they don't want to move back uh, to the old workspace and that teething issues uh, have been sorted out and they're getting on with their working life. So mm -hmm. which is quite powerful in terms of what when we do our next refurbishment, how we can use that as, as evidence of a successful previous move. Mm. Now, I just wanted to ask you about your, the profession of facilities, the role of facilities um, in the future, mm -hmm. and, and in particular in, in perhaps driving culture change, because I guess inevitably mm -hmm. when there's such a big move um, or, or redesign of the space, um, th the culture around the behaviors and the norms around it are, have to keep up with it. So do you see mm -hmm. going forward this is going to be an element that is going to also trickle in into the facilities profession? Um, I, I think very much, and I, I think facilities it, itself is uh, probably in a bit of a stage of evolution uh, in, in turning more into a, a workplace function uh, because it's it's not about providing, you know, a clean workspace with a good chair. It's about uh, providing catering uh, that's healthy and nutritious. It's about providing... Uh, other spaces at work where people can have quiet conversations or appropriate furniture um, when they're having a video conference with another office or a client uh, or somewhere else in the in the world. And it's about the small things such as several of our, our offices have a, uh, a dry cleaning person to come in that can pick up um, their clothes, their suits, their shirts, uh, dry clean them and bring them back in the next week. Um, our, our culture allows, uh, I, I suppose, this whole enhancement of the workplace. We Last year we had a, a secretary suggest um, bringing in a person to conduct Pilates classes on a um, several lunch times each week, and there was quite a lot of take-up and interest in that because we all uh, work long hours, um, and having a break with a Pilates class was something that, you know, people might not be able to get to that class at the gym, but they stand more chance of getting to a Pilates class in the workplace. And that, that, that's gone down uh, very well. And it's you know, small things like that. People pay for these classes. Um, the, the firm doesn't uh, pay for them. So it, it's helping people in their workplace uh, as well, and that's why I think moving forward we're going to see uh, 
I think, more evolution into a, a workplace arena rather than a pure facilities area. Yes, because I think it sends a very powerful message to the employees, to the staff, you know, that we care about you. We want you to be healthy and happy and feel mm. well. So they may also then feel much more empowered to bring forward their own uh, contribution to this, uh, to this effort. Absolutely. And if they know that, uh, you know, we, we listen to what they say and uh, if uh, if it ticks several boxes, obviously, on uh, health and safety and, and space, etc., that we can introduce and, and have these uh, services to, to offer something to them. So uh, Pilates is a yes and extreme skateboarding is a no. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Now, before we move to the last question, um, may I ask you, Nick, to share with the listeners um, where they can uh, find you following the podcast, where they can contact you if they would like to learn more? Yeah, sure. I am uh, on LinkedIn. Uh, my name is Nick Brook uh, and my uh, firm is Mills and Reeve. Uh, and I'll be very happy to um, receive any comments or queries or questions from listeners. Great. Now, moving to the last question, which is always the same on the Work Life podcast. Um, mm -hmm. May I ask you, Nick, if, if I could ask you to give one advice to a CEO on how to mm -hmm. improve the well-being of his or her employees, uh, what would be your advice? That's uh, it's difficult to say one thing. Um, my my view is of, of looking at firms such as myself and others that companies are already doing uh, things in the uh, the work life space and in, in the workplace uh, and and some of them some CEOs might not really see that they're doing that or that you're linking all these things together is improving the well-being of their employees uh, however i would say that uh, ask your employees what what would they like to see and respond to that and don't don't be afraid to do so whether that's a positive response or a a, a not this time response and give a good reason for that engage with the employees fantastic i think this is really really sensible advice and 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 one that that is universal so thank you mm -hmm. so much nick for taking the time and coming on our podcast congratulations on on the work that you're doing um and i wish you the best of success in the future thank you agnes 